There was a real sweet lady, and I know she was just teasing me, but I'll never forget it. She visited our church, and um, she was pushing 100, like, but just still sharp and ornery as anything, you know. And she, she shook my hand after service, and this was a long time ago. I, I'm, I'm probably not as bad now, but maybe, I, maybe I'm just as bad or worse. I don't know. But anyway, she shook my hand, and she said, Pastor, that was a good word you brought. And she's real country, you know. She said, but you pitched two bells when you ought to have only pitched one. <laughs> I'll probably pitch a couple bells whenever I, whenever I should have only pitched one. I'm going to try not to do that this morning. But if I do, I'll just blame my wife for going a little long and Robert. And anyway, so it's all their fault if we go a little late. But anyways, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. So, you know, serving God should be fun. It's not supposed to be a religious, dull, boring experience. Amen. Um, and so I, I, I try to keep it that way because when I got saved, it wasn't because of a list of uh, rules and uh, of do's and don'ts that I'm supposed to comply with. I mean, you know, there are things we need to do and we need to grow in the Lord, but our relationship should not be... Rather, our relationship with the Lord should not be based on a list of rules or do's and don'ts. Our relationship should be based on um, a loving fellowship with Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, that's the only way that you're ever going to have joy in your life. Um, When your relationship ceases to be a relationship and becomes religious, um, it becomes uh, uh, boring and lifeless. But praise God. We don't have to have a boring and lifeless relationship with Jesus. Um, did you find Hebrews chapter 9? Uh, Kathy and I, we, uh, we got back from our vacation to California. We just loaded up the kids and, uh, and moved to Beverly. No, we didn't. <laughs> we, and had a really, really good, relaxing time, refreshing. And um, we just want to thank you guys for allowing us as your pastors to get away and just kind of rest and relax. And then we got back on last Monday. Um, that was good. But I am happy to be back, glad to be back. And um, we're going to pick back up with a series I started two weeks ago before we left. And that is um, the present day ministry of Jesus. But, you know, um, the church has mostly focused on the ministry of Jesus while on earth, um, but they've spent very little time um, talking about what Jesus is doing for us right now as our high priest. Uh, When I say the church, I'm talking about the church at large has spent very little time talking about Jesus' present day ministry. So, So little, in fact, that a large majority of believers do not even realize that Jesus actually has a ministry today. When you talk about the ministry of Jesus, they think about him being here on earth, multiplying the bread and the fish, right? Opening the eyes of the blind, right? Raising the dead, preaching, teaching, the Sermon on the Mount and so forth. Um, That was the earthly ministry of Jesus. But Jesus has an eternal ministry right now that he is um, um, functioning in. And it's for our behalf today. You know, I think a lot of times people truly get born again, but they're kind of left with the impression that, that um, they're kind of left to themselves. Until I die and go to heaven, I've just got to do the best I can, you know, to try to make ends meet, to try to just, you know, buck up or grip my teeth and, 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 and um, put my, my nose to the grind. But you have an advocate right now. Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father who is 
ever living to make intercession on your and my behalf. That means that his sole purpose in living right now is to see to it that you succeed, to see to it that you win. Amen. You're not left to yourself. Amen. Thank God we're not left to ourselves. So Hebrews 9, and I'm going to begin reading in the 12th verse. It says, uh, but Christ being come um, a high priest of good things to come uh, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So, this is the description of Jesus entering into the heavenly temple. Did you know there was a heavenly temple? I mean, the temple that Moses built, that was a copy of the true tabernacle in heaven. God gave Moses a vision. God showed Moses the vision or the pattern of the heavenly temple, and he told him to the exact specifications of how to build this temple. So it was a replica, but it wasn't the true tabernacle. And the the heavenly tabernacle existed long before the earthly one did. Okay? The earthly one was the pattern, not the heavenly one. The heavenly one was always there, and that was supposed to be an eternal tabernacle. An eternal temple. The earthly temple is only temporary. It was going to be done away with. And so, and it already has been. Since Jesus, there has been no uh, uh, divine use of the temple. Because the Bible says he no longer dwells in temples made with hands. I like to say it this way he dwells in the hands now that made the temples. Amen. Amen. He doesn't dwell in the, in the Ark Covenant. He doesn't dwell in the physical place uh, called the Holy of Holies. He dwells inside of each of you and I. Amen? And so, it, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, the heavenly holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Say eternal redemption. You see, the priest of the Old Testament they entered into an earthly holy of holies and they could only obtain an annual atonement for sin. But Jesus entered into an eternal, the heavenly holy of holies and obtained an eternal redemption for our souls. So we have here in the Old Testament God offering an annual atonement versus what He can now offer to everyone through Jesus an eternal redemption. So we have a, an annual atonement in the Old Testament, but we have an eternal redemption in the New Testament. Now, what's the difference? Well, for one, annual, um, it has an expiration date. That's what that means. An annual atonement means it has an expiration date and another sacrifice is going to have to be made. And it was only good for 365 days. And it wasn't a redemption. There was no redemption. The blood of bulls and goats cannot purchase freedom from sin. All the blood of the bulls and goats, rams and turtle doves could do was cover the sin. But the sin was still there. When I say sin, I'm not talking about smoking, drinking, cussing, chewing, going with girls that do. Right? I'm not talking about the deeds. I'm talking about the sin nature. The thing that caused you to do the wrong things. 
A lot of times people think that they became a sinner the first time when they were five and they stole some bubble gum out of the 7-Eleven. Or the first time they went behind the barn and cussed out the cat, you know. (laughs) That's not when you became... The the Bible says we were shaping in iniquity, born in iniquity from our mother's womb by nature. You didn't become a sinner when you committed an act of sin. You commit acts of sin because you were a sinner already by nature. That's the reason why Jesus did not tell Nicodemus, you must go to some rehab. You must go through 12 weeks of counseling. No, what did he say? You must be born again. You need a new nature. Thank God for Jesus. You see, the blood of bulls and goats could not give us a new birth. All it could do was atone, and that word atone in the Hebrew for atone, it simply means to cover. That's it. And many times the blood of Jesus, rather the word atonement is used in relation or connection to the blood of Jesus, and it shouldn't be. Never in the New Testament do you see the word atonement used in relationship to the sacrifice of Jesus in his blood. What we do see is it's called a reconciliation, a redemption. Something that the blood of an animal could never do. Now, why could even the blood of an animal do even as much as cover sin? Because they are innocent. It was mankind that, that, that brought sin into the world. And the, 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 the animal life, the animal kingdom, were the victims of that decision. But they're innocent. That's the reason why when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that God made of them clothes of the what? The, the animals. Did you know that was the first sacrifice for sin? It didn't bring a redemption for Adam and Eve and their descendants, but it brought an atonement. That's why they wore it on their body, because uh, it, it covered them. It, it said they were ashamed, but the, the, the skin of that animal signified the sacrifice that had been made and the blood that had been shed of that innocent animal. I can just imagine God going to the deer and saying, I got to kill you. <laughs> you know, it said God sacrificed. I mean, I don't know how the conversation took place, but it'd be a little awkward. I have to kill you. And the, and the lamb says, or the, or the deer says, what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. God says, that's why I can use you. Because you didn't do anything wrong. I have to take your blood, innocent blood, and cover them. My, my creation made in my image and my likeness. And that system played out for the next 4,000 years until the fullness of time came. And the Bible says that God sent Jesus, His only begotten Son, to die for the sins of the world and do so much more than atone or cover, but to reconcile and to redeem. Glory to God. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Glory to God. So not only does the blood of Jesus... Uh, you know, cover our sin, the blood of Jesus removes the sin nature. Amen. That's the reason why you, you will not come to this church and have a bumper sticker that says, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I know it sounds sincere, but it's sincerely wrong. Yeah. 
if you were born again, you, you can say, I was a sinner. Yes. But now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm saved by his grace. But you cannot say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Because then what I want to know is, what were you saved for if you're still a sinner? Well, pastor, you don't understand. You're telling me you don't ever commit sin? I didn't say I never committed. I said I lost that sin nature. Let me ask you a question. This isn't in my notes, but I just feel like the Spirit leading me this way. Um, you know, we have uh, Tommy and Curtis, they're farmers. How many in here like to grow tomatoes in your backyard? You know, okay, w- w- would that make you a farmer? Huh? What if you showed up at the gym at 5.30, ungodly hour in the morning, <laughs> drinking coffee and be like, yeah, I got some tomatoes in my backyard outside the window. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be a farmer, that means it's your lifestyle. That means that's, that's what you plan on doing from here on out till Jesus comes. This is your occupation. This is who you are. I am a farmer. You see? So just because you miss it and you, you miss the mark, you fail at times because of the flesh. It wasn't your heart. I mean, it, it, the real man is on the inside. You know, it, it wasn't your, your nature that sinned. It was the flesh, the unrenewed mind, and, and the flesh sometimes gets the best of us, man. How, how about yours? Hey, man, if you say it don't, we'll, we'll have an altar call up here for liars, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll lay hands on you. <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, we miss it from time to time because we're still dealing with this flesh, you know, and uh, um, we can grow, we can mature. I mean, we can we can uh, uh, increase in in our closeness to God, but we're still going to have to deal with this flesh on a daily basis and put it under. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. He knew he had to or it was going to run his life. You know, I put every time you say no to the flesh, that is a quote dying daily that Paul referred to that he talked about. So you're never going to reach this point in this life where you have no more temptation to sin. And some, we live in condemnation because we think that's the goal. But it's an unattainable goal. So we live in this guilt, shame, um, you know, I'm not good enough, uh, condemnation sense because we think we should have arrived at this perfect state where I cannot be tempted anymore. And yet we haven't yet. And that's an unrealistic expectation because even Jesus, he was perfect. He was born perfect. Yet the Bible says he was tempted in all like manner, even as we are. Yet he never yielded to that sin. So the temptation is not what's wrong. What's wrong is the yielding to it. I said the temptation is not what's wrong. It's the yielding to it is what the Bible calls sin. And listen, then, you know, just because you blew it, confess it. Because of the blood of Jesus, he says he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Say all. That means that includes that thing you're thinking about right now that God's just not going to get over. All sin. God never looked at you and said, oops. I forgot they were going to do that. So I didn't include that in the redemption. Come on. He is much more insightful than you and I ever will be. 
He's able to think things out pretty good. You know what I'm saying? He knows what we're capable of and not capable of. Our weaknesses, our shortcomings. And he put that all in Jesus on the cross. And he bore that guilt. He bore that shame. He was wounded for our transgressions, all of them. Bruised for our iniquities, all of them. The chastisement of our peace, that's the guilt, the shame, the sense of inferiority, the condemnation that was upon us. God put it all on Jesus at the cross. Praise God. And with His stripes, Isaiah 53 says, we were healed. Spirit, soul, and body, completely To be healed spiritually is to be born again, made a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. To be healed bodily is in your healing, physical bodily healing. But to be healed in your soul is to be cleansed of the guilt and the shame that that sin produced in your life. So the blood of Jesus, it reaches the highest place in heaven and it reaches the deepest place in our heart. Smith Wigglesworth said it this way. He said, there is nothing in me that the blood of Jesus does not cleanse. You ought to make that confession every day. When you feel at your worst, there is nothing. And you don't even, you feel like slapping yourself because you feel like you're lying to yourself. I'm talking about that moment. You need to say there is nothing in me, the blood of Jesus. And your, and your, and your, your, your spirit, your, your, uh, excuse me, your flesh is saying, you're lying, you're lying. You better hush, quit that lying. You say, no, there's nothing in me the blood of Jesus does not cleanse. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins. It didn't even say sin. Like, if, you know, like if you got more than one, I can't help you. No, it said if you confess your sins, uh, he is faithful. That means even if it's a multitude of them. <laughs> if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That unrighteousness that He cleanses us, namely, firstly, he, he, he cleanses us with the blood of Jesus. And what is, the unrighteousness, what is the unrighteousness that He cleanses us of? It's the sense of unrighteousness that the sin caused. So not only are we... For, and, and really, to even say you're forgiven is really... Not saying half of it. Because if all God did, I'll say this statement to get your attention. Then maybe maybe I'll be able to explain it. If all God did was forgive you of your sins, then you're still going to hell. Because it wasn't your acts of sins that was sending you there. It was your nature. If all God did was, and that's the problem with much Christian religion today is they only have a revelation of the forgiveness, so that's why they keep calling themselves sinners. You don't go to hell because you're unforgiven. You go to hell because you're a sinner. Because by nature, you're a child of wrath. When the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, uh, you know, um, we have Abraham to be our father. Who's your father? Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. And children go where their fathers are. Even forgiven ones. I mean, it would, oh, to think that the blood of Jesus could only forgive but leave us in the same condition. Really. 
Traditional Christianity teaches this theology that all God did was forgive you but left you the same way you were. And that's the reason why when they witness to the lost, they say, I'm no better, I'm no different. Now, you wouldn't tell them that, you know what I mean? I'm no, they'd, they'd say, now, I'm, I'm a sinner just like you. I'm no better than you. And we know without Jesus, nobody's better than anybody. But they'll say, I'm no better than you. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. You know, just come on into the family. Well, I'm all right. Why would I want to go over there and be miserable if I, as a sinner if I'm already happy over here as one? If I'm, if I'm going to be a sinner here or there, I'm going to be one here because I'm having a good time right here. Yes. Come on. We've got to offer people life. Yes. Amen. Not something you receive after you die. Yes. But something that's a present reality. It's a salvation that you get right now when you say Jesus is my Lord. Come live in my heart. Immediately you become a new creation. You receive eternal life and you don't have to die to get it. You get it before you die. You better have it before you die because you can't get it after you die. You begin to experience and, and have eternal life now. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy do you think that's all supposed to happen to you after you die? When's he supposed to come and do all that? Right now. So why would we then think, well, <laughs> the, the devil's going to do this all right now, but God's not going to do none of his stuff until after. Huh? No, the devil, he, here's what the Lord showed me. He speaks real simply to me because maybe I'm just simple and I prefer that because I think I found out when I get deep is whenever I get off. One minister told me, he said, Brother Joy, you get too deep, that's where the sharks bite. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's where the sharks fight. Revelation knowledge is in the simplicity of the gospel. Amen. So here's what the Lord told me. Jesus said the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So I don't have to go to him to experience death, destruction, right? Chaos. No, he's coming for me. And Jesus said, but I am come that you might have. That's present tense. That you might have life and have it more abundantly. That word life is the Greek word zoe and it's talking about the God kind of life. You know why and how you get that God kind of life is when you were born again, you received the nature of God. Just like your children receive your nature when they're born. You want to know your genealogy? It can be summed up in four words. But if you want to read the old covenant uh, servants of God's genealogy, it's page after page of begots who so-and-so begot the, this person and so-and-so begot that person. You know, it's, and then you get in the middle of it and you just skip it because you're kind of like, okay, I get the point. <laughs> you know, but you know what our genealogy is right now in Christ? First John 4, 4, ye are of God. God has no grandkids. And that's why Peter calls it being partakers of the divine nature of God. Partakers of the divine nature of God. So you've got Christians that, that are you know, moping around and they just say, well, I'm only human. There's even a Christian song that's like, I'm only human. Show me the way. Or something like that. I don't know. No, you're not only human. If you're in Christ, you might be human, but you're not only human. There is more to you than your humanity. 
in Christ, you are a human divine being. Jesus became a divine human being, and through him and through his blood, we become a human divine being. Now, that doesn't mean we're God. There's only one God, but you're still a child of God. And then religious people, the reason why I know is because I grew up religious. And I I received some good foundation from them, but they couldn't take me into Paul's revelation because they didn't know it themselves. But thank God, I saw the light. Amen. You saw the light when you got born again, but there's more light. Don't you kid yourself. There is some more light. And just because you saw the light of eternal life and salvation, you can still be walking in darkness in other areas. You need to keep singing that song. Amen. I saw the light. I like that. Amen. Hank Williams. (laughs) Actually got into the Baptist hymnals. I mean, that's quite an accomplishment. You know what I mean? (laughs) So a lot of good songs in the Baptist hymnal. Um, I grew up Southern Baptist. But, um, But I saw the light in some other areas. I saw the light that not only did God want to give me an eternal home and have a mansion waiting for me when I get there. Uh, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. You know, if it were not so, I would I, I would have told you, you know, I, I, I realized that. But then I but then I got a light that he didn't want me to have to be run over by the devil all my life until I get there. Come on. I didn't have to sing songs talking about I'm just pilgrim. I'm just a pilgrim barely passing through. So foot sore and poorly shod, but at the end of the journey, there's God. No, 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 no. Glory to God. And the Lord ain't doing no giving and taking away. You know? (laughs) How do I know? The Bible tells me so, you know, right? I mean, (laughs) we just pick and choose kind of what we want, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the Bible tells me so. Jesus said, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's a present tense reality. And the Lord told me this one day. It's been a couple years ago. Um, It did not say that I have to go there to get it. It said he's coming here to bring it. And it said that the hundred... You know, the thousand or so times I've read that in my life, but it just came out. I just said, yeah, that's, that's, that's the key right there. He came. He would not come to give it to me when I go. He didn't say when you come. He said, when I come. <laughs> oh, man, glory to God. But then the, where people think, well, it's just for heaven is because they tried that. They, they, they believed that they confessed it and it didn't happen for them. They don't know why, you know. Um, so they say, well, it just must not have been God's will for me. And did you know that God's will does not automatically happen? Yeah. If God's will automatically happened, he could have saved the whole earth 6,000 years of nonsense. Did he want Adam and Eve to sin? There wasn't nothing keeping them from it either, was it? Do you think he would tell them not to eat of the fruit, but then pre-design and engineer them to disobey him? 
That would be unjust, and he could not send any man or woman to hell if that was the case. That would be unjust. If God, and he is just, if God gives you and I a command, then he's given us the capability and the divine ability on the inside of us to obey that command. But if everything that happened was the will of God and nobody can, can go against the will of God and, and uh, you know, it was God's plan for all this to happen, then he's unjust because he gave a command knowing at the time he gave the command that they would, it would be an impossibility for them to, to fulfill that command. But he's faithful and just. Amen. So everything that happens isn't the will of God. If everything that happened was the will of God, then we would not have needed to pursue those behind the terrorist attacks on 9-11 and the ones that we've experienced in the world since then. Because if everything happened was the will of God, then we'd be fighting against God to go after Osama bin Laden. Hmm? We'd be fighting against God to go after Saddam Hussein because after all, God's pre-orchestrated it. Right? That is a false doctrine that everything that happens is the will of God. It's the same line of thinking that, that teaches that, 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 that some people are just destined to go to hell. Nothing, they can go to church. They can enjoy the benefits of church. But if God hasn't predestined them to go to heaven, they'll go to hell no matter what. How many has ever heard that teaching? Predestination. Did you know that he did uh, predestinate, but predestination does not mean predetermination. It means that you might have hopes for your children that they are, may or may not attain. But just because you wanted it to happen for them doesn't mean necessarily it's going to. I mean, hopefully it's better than you hope for, right? Aren't you glad that your children aren't limited to your, your expectations of them? That they can go beyond that? Hey, Amen. So yeah, God did predestine us, but we have to conform to His will. We have to comply with His will if we're going to experience what He has for us in this life. Amen. Glory to God. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Today, right now, we are there. That is what they wanted. Because everything else we receive from God today, it comes through a revelation of righteousness. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ. No longer sinners saved by grace. We were sinners, and thank God we were saved by grace, but now we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. In uh, John 17, 23, Jesus said that the Father would love you as much as he loves me. The same love that, G- that God loved Jesus with, he, loved, he loves us with. He had to because John 3, 16, he could not have loved us any less because you don't sacrifice something you love more for something you love less. So we're at least on equal footing with Jesus in the eyes of God. If he saw it, uh, it, it, he would not have sacrificed something he valued more for something he valued less. Does that make sense to you? He loves you immensely, intensely. His wonderful loving kindness. What, uh, the Psalms call it his marvelous loving kindness. Woo! Yeah. Glory to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made. Not work and become. It'll never work that way. It'll never happen. God made Jesus to be sin for us 
who knew no sin, so that in turn or in exchange, we then might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any person be in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. That means a new species of being having never before existed. A brand new species in Christ. God would not make an unrighteous new creature. If he wanted us unrighteous, he could have kept us the way we were and saved Jesus a whole lot of suffering. God didn't send Jesus to the cross to help us a little bit. I, you know, I, I hope that's helped you in some small way. <laughs> God didn't send Jesus to the cross to suffer not just the cross, not just the thorns, not just the nails, but to suffer the wrath of God for sin, to bear the curse for sin. Jesus didn't bear all that to come and just, you know, give us a ticket to heaven, but go through whatever hell we may until then. I'll say this in closing. If all the sacrifice of Jesus did for us was merely forgive us and left us the way we were, then what Satan accomplished in Adam in the Garden of Eden was greater than what God was able to accomplish on the cross with Jesus. Because Satan's work in the Garden of Eden, it brought death to the planet. But oh poor God and poor Jesus, all he could do is just kind of comfort us through the death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice it didn't say in Psalm 23 you're walking through death, it said you're walking through the shadow. In other words, you can get pretty close, but you're in life. You're dwelling under the shadow of the Most High God. I am, I am in life. I, the life of God is in me. I receive it now. Psalm 23 wasn't supposed to be limited to funerals. When I read Psalm 23 in funerals, it's not for the dead. It's for those who are sorrowing over their loved ones who's died. It's for them. Those that remain yes. right now. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I know he's not talking about heaven. For one, there ain't even a shadow of death in heaven. Number two, the shadow of a dog never bit anybody. Come on. And there ain't no death in heaven. So yea, though I walk through the valley. That's right here. There ain't no valleys in heaven either. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. It'd go without saying if he's talking about heaven, you know he's with you. But sometimes you don't feel like he's with you. So you got to tell yourself. Yeah. The Psalms, we think of them as songs, but really before they became a song, they were a confession of David. Before they became songs, they were confessions that he made into songs. The Lord is my shepherd. Why would I want to say the Lord is my shepherd? Because there are seasons in your life where you do not feel like he's doing his job. <laughs> and you've got to tell yourself, no, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. When it looks like you're going out, when you're going down, when you're about to fail, I do not want. If I shall not want, I like to say I do not want. Amen. I do not want. I never lack for money. I never lack for opportunity. I never lack for open doors. Amen. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Glory to God. And then you go down to the sixth verse, and it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's where I'm dwelling. I'm going through this, but I'm living here. Don't live there in verse 1 when you're supposed to be living in verse 6. I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, but it's not where I'm dwelling. Verse 6 says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm just going through this. I'm on my way. (laughs) Say, I'm on my way. way. Glory to God. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Amen.